uh, right where we're there in uh, Job chapter number 3. And uh, several weeks ago, we started uh, on a Wednesday night. Wednesday night is our Bible study uh, night when we go verse by verse, chapter by chapters through books of the Bible. And we started the book of Job. And uh, tonight we find ourselves in chapter 3. We've already went through chapter 1 and chapter 2, and if you missed those, I would encourage you to check those out on our YouTube channel, on our website, uh, because they really lay the foundation uh, for the book of Job. Job chapter 1 and chapter 2 really gives us the narrative, the story uh, of the book of Job, and then starting in chapter 3 actually begins a conversation between Job and his friends, and this conversation is going to go on for the next 36 chapters. So for the next 36 weeks, we're going to be uh, eavesdropping a little bit on this conversation between Job and his friends, and uh, they go back and forth, and they talk about different things, and uh, tonight we're going to look at uh, chapter 3 here, but before we do that, I'd actually like you to flip back to chapter 2. Uh, just real quickly, and look at the last few verses, just to give you the context about uh, of this conversation. If you remember Job's friends, and we beat up on Job's friends a lot, and we should. They uh, uh, did a lot of said a lot of negative things, inaccurate things, and we're going to uh, spend the next thirty six weeks looking at that. Not just what what Job said and what his friends said, and and learning what was true and what was not true. Uh, but I want you to notice that these really were his friends. And I, don't, I, don't, I think sometimes we beat up on them a little bit, but we need to realize that they actually came to comfort Job. Job chapter 2 there, and look at verse number 11. The Bible says this, Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, notice the next two words, the Bible says, they came. Now you've got to at least give them credit for that. You know, Job is going through the most difficult time of his life. He's lost all of his children. He's lost all of his uh, financial security. He's lost his health. He is, the Bible says, he's taking, taking a pot shirt and uh, scraping himself with it just to relieve the pain that he's in. And his three friends heard of the evil that came upon him, and they came, everyone from his own place, Eliphaz, the uh, Temanite, and Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Naamathite, for they had made, notice these words, an appointment together to come. They had uh, gotten together and said, hey, our friend is going through a difficult time, and they decided to come and to comfort and to mourn with Job. Notice it says they made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. And here's what's interesting, if you notice verse 12, and when they lifted up their eyes afar off, they knew him not. I mean, they, they didn't even recognize Job, and, and you would you can understand this after everything Job had gone through. They didn't even recognize him. They knew him not. They lifted up their voice, notice, and wept. So I want you to notice that they really cared about Job. They had empathy for Job. The Bible says about Jesus when Lazarus died that Jesus wept. And here we're told that his three friends, they wept, and they, they had the ability uh, to understand and share in the feelings of their friend. That's what empathy is. And they rent everyone his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. So they begin to enter into this mourning phase with Job. Notice verse 13. I think this is probably the most interesting part uh, of, of his friends before the conversation. In verse 13, the Bible says, So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights. Notice, they sat with him before the conversation even started. Because the conversation doesn't begin until chapter 3. And it goes on for the next 36 chapters. But before they even began to talk, the Bible says that they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights. Notice these words. And none spake a word unto him, for, say, for they saw that his grief was very great. So just know going into this conversation, because it's going to get kind of nasty between them, you know, and, 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 and it's, they're going to uh, start kind of taking passive-aggressive jabs at each other and, gen and then just aggressive jabs at each other, and, and, and they start kind of arguing and defending themselves. But I want you to know that these really were his friends. And in fact, they came, the Bible says, to comfort him. They made an appointment together to come and mourn with him, to comfort him. And they sat there, they sat there with Job for seven days and uh, uh, seven nights, and none spake a word. Now keep your place there in Job. That's obviously our text for tonight. Go ahead and move your word to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter number 3. If you are there in Job, you're going to go past the book of Psalms into Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. If you can find the major prophets at the end of the book, you have 
Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 3. And we're going to learn a lot of negative things about what not to do as a friend uh, from Job's friends. But I do want to just show you one positive thing of what we should do as friends uh, that we can learn from Job's friends. And it is this, that they were there for him. They were there when their friend needed them, when their friend was going through trials, when their friend was going through troubles. They came, they sat down, they were with him. Notice Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 15. The Bible says the same thing about the prophet Ezekiel uh, with the children of Israel when they go into captivity. When the children of Israel went into captivity, this was a difficult time for them. And I want you to notice what Ezekiel did as he ministered to them. Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 15. The Bible says this. Then I came to them of the captivity of Tel Aviv. So this is Ezekiel. He noticed the words came to them of the captivity. Notice uh, of Tel Aviv that dwelt by the river of Kibar, notice the words, and I sat where they sat, and remained there astonished among them seven days. So I want you to notice the similarities. Because Job's friends, they were astonished as well. They were amazed, and they sat for seven days with Job. And the Bible says that Ezekiel, that he sat where they sat, and remained there astonished among them seven days. So, you know, you got a good friend when they're willing to just sit next to you for seven days and say nothing. And, and there's a lesson here that we can learn about being a friend. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And, you know, a good friend will just be there. And, and, and let me say this, because oftentimes people will ask me, and they'll ask my wife. Over the last 10 years of ministry, we've uh, have, had to spend time with people who were going through trials and struggles and, 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 and needed comfort. And sometimes what happens is, and, and I'll just tell you, this is the wrong move. Uh, friends, whenever their friend is going through a difficult time, because they don't know what to say. They don't know how to counsel. They don't know what they should say. A lot of times they try to avoid uh, uh, that person. And, and let me just tell you, as a friend, you know, you should just be there. And you say, well, I don't know what to say. Let me let you in on a secret. Oftentimes, you don't have to say anything. It's just good to be there. Here we see that uh, Job's friends, they were there for seven days. This is why they were still good friends. They were there for seven days, and they spake not a word. Here we see Ezekiel, that he sat where they sat, and remained there, astonished among them, seven days. Sometimes, when it comes to being a friend, and, and being a friend to our fellow uh, brethren, and uh, brothers and sisters of Christ, it's good to just be there. To be there for them. That's why I, I, I love one of my favorite ministries that we have here at Radio Baptist Church, which is a ministry that my wife runs, is how we will supply meals. And, and, and ladies in our church will, will volunteer to bring meals uh, to individuals that either ladies who had babies is usually the most common thing for us. But even if people go through surgeries or difficult times where they're not able to uh, feed themselves, you know, it's good for our church family to come alongside others and just be there and help them. And you don't have to have all the right words. It's just good to be there. It's good to be a part of that. And this is part of church life. 1 Corinthians 12. Are you there? Look at verse 25. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 25. The Bible says this, that there should be no schism in the body. And that's referring to the fact that there shouldn't be any separation in the body. Notice, but that the members, notice these words, should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. And as a church family, this should be our goal, that we, when one of us is suffering, we all suffer with them. And when one of us is rejoicing, we all rejoice with them. And we should just take this, uh, you know, one positive lesson from Job's friends to just be there. They were there. They sat there for seven days and spake not a word. Like Ezekiel, he sat there where they sat. And he was with them. So it's a positive thing that we learn about Job's friends. And if you go back to Job chapter 3, and I just wanted to give you that positive thing before we get into a lot of negative chapters um, over the next several weeks. And, and let me just say this, because we're going to beat up on Job's friends a lot, because they said a lot of bad things that they shouldn't have said. But, but you know, in their defense, for whatever it's worth, I don't know how long they were going to sit there and not say anything. We know they sat there for seven days and didn't say anything. And in their defense, it was Job who broke the silence. 
And it was Job who began the conversation. And I think Job, you know, 30 chapters into this, probably regretted even saying anything. But notice Job chapter 3 and verse 1, the Bible says this, After this opened Job his mouth. And of course Job begins uh, to, to, to express the emotions that he's going through. We're going to walk through this passage, and I'm going to give you uh, three thoughts, and I'd encourage you to write these down and just kind of outline this passage for you. I want you to notice that what we're reading in Job chapter 3 is a man who is going through a very difficult time. It's a very hard time for him, and he's very discouraged, and and he is just kind of laying it all out there, and he's not doing what he's saying. He's not saying it to teach us things, but he does teach us some things um, through uh, this chapter. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you what, what Job is saying and then what we can learn from that chapter. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write these down. Number one, Job curses the day that he was born. Job begins this chapter by cursing the day that he was born, but in that, he teaches us that it is okay to mourn. Job curses the day he was born and teaches us that it is okay to mourn. Notice Verse number one there, Job curses the day of his birth. Job chapter three, verse one. After this, Job opened, uh, after this, opened Job his mouth. Notice the words, and cursed his day. And his day there is a reference to the day of his birth. He cursed his day. Notice verse two, and Job spake and said. So again, notice again that Job is the one that begins this conversation with his friends. Verse three, notice what he says. He says, let the day perish wherein I was born. And the night in which it was said, there is a man-child conceived. He said, the day that I was born, the day that the announcement went out and said, there is a man-child conceived. He says, I wish that that day would perish. I wish that that night would, would not exist. Notice verse 4. He says, let that day be darkness. Let not God regard it from above. Neither let the light shine upon it. Let darkness and the shadow of death stain it. Let a cloud dwell upon it. Let the blackness of, notice, the day terrify it. As for that night, let darkness seize upon it. Let it not be joined unto the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. He says, lo, let that night be solitary. Let no joyful voice come therein. Let them curse it. He says, let them curse it that curse the day who are ready to raise up their morning. Let the stars of the twilight thereof be dark. Let it look for light, but have none. Neither let it see the dawning of the day. So we see here that Job is obviously going through a very difficult time in his life. And he begins to curse his day. He begins to curse the day of his birth. But I want you to, to notice something. I want you to understand something that we can learn from this that it is okay to mourn. It's okay to go through a time of mourning. It's okay to, to go through a time of discouragement when you're uh, maybe feeling blue or you're feeling down. It was okay. Obviously, Job just lost all his children. He just lost all his finances. He just lost his health. And his wife said, why don't you curse God and die? He's in a very low place in his life. And here, he is cursing his day. And, and, and look, I'm not saying it's okay in the sense that obviously it's not okay for you to just walk around and say, you know, I wish I was never born. I wish the day that I was born never happened. But what I'm saying is that when you're going through a difficult time and, and, and you're mourning, sometimes in counseling, my wife and I, we have to tell people, look, you've got to mourn a little bit. Sometimes when you're going through a difficult time, it's okay to mourn. And we see Job that he cursed his day. But I want to remind you, it's fine if you need to, to curse the day you were born, but it's never fine to curse God. And that's what Job, uh, what, what he did was that he never cursed God. In fact, just quickly go back to Job chapter 1. Look at verse 22. Job chapter 1 and verse 22. The Bible says this. Job chapter 1 and verse 22. In all this Job sinned not. Notice, in all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. And we talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago, but the word charge there, it's like when someone gets charged with a crime. It's an accusation. He did not accuse God 
foolishly. Go to Job chapter 2 and verse 10. The Bible says this, But he said unto her, Thou speakest. He's talking to his wife who just told him to curse God and die. He says, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. He says, What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? Notice the words. And in all this did not Job sin with his lips. Look, if you go through a difficult time, go to the book of Ecclesiastes, if you would. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. You're there in Job. Keep your place in Job. We have Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. If you go through a difficult time in your life, and I'm not saying that living in a state of discouragement is a, is a, is a good thing. That's, it's not a good thing. And, and some people, they live in a state of discouragement. They're always discouraged. They're always going through something. You know, people, you ask them, how you doing? And it's like, ah, oh, you know, the sky's falling and, you know, coronavirus and whatever. You know, and everything's bad and nothing's good. Hey, we shouldn't try to be those, those types of people. We should try to rejoice in the Lord. We should have the joy of the Lord. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. But when you're going through a difficult time, it's okay to take some time to, to mourn. It's okay to take some time to, to just, you know, let that out. That's what we see Job doing. And I want you to notice that God says, hey, Job didn't sin. At the beginning and at the end, God says that Job was a good guy. He went through this well. And we see here that he's cursing his days. So what we can learn is that uh, Job was not only uh, cursing his, 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 in his mourning, but Job was allowed to mourn. Job was allowed to hurt. Job was allowed to go through a difficult time. And look, in your life and in my life, when things are not going well, uh, it's okay to mourn. In fact, the Bible says it's a good thing to mourn. Are you there in Ecclesiastes 3? Look at verse 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 4, the Bible says this, A time to weep. And this is, of course, that famous passage where it gives us all those different, there's a time for this and a time for that and a time for this and a time for that. And, and in verse 4, the Bible says, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. So he says, look, there's times in our lives, there's seasons in our lives where it's okay to weep, where it's okay to mourn. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 2. In chapter 7 and verse 2, he actually takes it a step further than that. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 2, the Bible says this, It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. I mean, think about that. God, he says, would you rather go to a, the house of mourning? Would you rather go to a funeral? Or would you rather go to a birthday party? Would you rather go to the house of mourning or would you rather go to the house of feasting? And I think all of us would say, well, I'd rather go to the birthday party. I'd rather go where they're going to have, you know, I've never seen a funeral where they have balloons and a jump house and, and a nice cake, you know. Maybe not a cake, but we're never saying, you know, I'd rather go where it's going to be fun. But God says, hey, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. You say, how can that be? Well, notice, for that is the end of all men. Please understand this, and especially if you're a young person, please get this. Life is not about having fun. Life is not about just having fun. People today, you know, we've got adults that don't want to grow up. They say, well, I just want to be happy. You know, why, why, why can't I just be happy? I, I, you know, let me tell you something. The Bible says you can be blessed. The Bible says you can be blessed. But, but this whole pursuit of happiness thing, you got that from the, you know, Declaration of Independence, but you didn't get that from the Word of God. God never promised you, you know, I'm just going to give you a, a happy life. In fact, God, God said, hey, you can be blessed. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, blessed is the man that endures temptation. So you can be, live a blessed life and still go through trials. You can live a blessed life. And, so, and I'm not saying you can't be happy, but I'm just telling you something. God says it's better to go to the house of mourning. You say, why? Because this is the end of all men. And the living will lay it to his heart. Notice verse 3. Sorrow is better than laughter. Sorrow is better than laughter. Be careful about being the guy and being the gal who's just always laughing and everything's a joke and nothing serious. I think it's good to laugh and I think it's good to, to, to have a good time. And I'm not talking about having a good time with your friends, but be careful about being the person who's just everything's a joke. Nothing's ever serious. Nothing's ever important. He says sorrow is better than laughter. He says, notice, you say, well, how, can, how can sorrow be better than laughter? How can the house of mourning be better than the house of feasting? Here's, here's why. Notice what he says. For by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. You know, the Bible says that going through difficult times actually makes you better. He says, by the, he said, there are things. 
See, this is what, what Job uh, uh, maybe doesn't understand in chapter 3, but he will understand later on in this book, because later in the book, he's the one that says that, that God is putting him through this to refine him, to make him better. The truth is this, when everything is happy and, and fun and, and things are all going well, there's very little we learn. In fact, when things are going well, we usually don't learn anything because we think we're doing everything right. But when things become difficult, when things begin to fall apart, when things begin, when we begin to go through a difficult time, usually, usually, as human beings, when things get difficult, we try to run from that. We try to not uh, be exposed to that. We try to limit that and say, no, I don't, I don't want to go through that. But God says, actually, it's better for you to go through difficult times because those are the times that will make you a better person. See, the truth is, is that Job became a better man for the trials that he went through. He says, the Bible says that by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. Notice verse 4. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of myrrh. Go back to Job. And by the way, let me just say this. There's some great characters in the Bible. Before, before you look down on Job too much, there's some great characters in the Bible who wish they had died, who wish that they had never been born, who asked God to kill them. You know, we see Job, of course, who's a great godly man, in chapter 3 saying, I wish I'd never been born. But you know, Moses in Numbers chapter 11 verse 15 asked God to kill him. Elijah in 1 Kings 19 and verse 4 asked God to kill him. Job in Job 3.11 wished he'd never been born. Jeremiah in, 20, in Jeremiah chapter 20 verse 14 uh, uh, wished he'd never been born. Jonah in Jonah chapter 4 and verse 8 asked God to kill him. So look, it, it, it's a normal uh, thing to go through times of life where you, you wish, you know, you just, you, you think, I always think, think of the song we sing, you know, life seems um, uh, uh, worse than useless, and I were better dead. Sometimes you think, it'd be better if I was just dead. It'd be better if I'd never been born. And this is what we see with Job. Job curses the day he was born, and it teaches us that it's okay to mourn. Because the truth is this, and go back to Job if you would. If you don't have all the chapters that people don't like to read from the book of Job, who knows what I'm talking about? You know, everybody loves chapter 1, chapter 2 of Job. And everybody loves chapter 38, 39, 40, 41, 42 of Job, right? Everybody loves the beginning, and everybody loves the end, but usually, you know, you don't hear a lot of, you hear a lot of preaching out of the first two chapters of Job, you hear a lot of preaching out of the last few chapters of Job, you don't hear a lot of preaching out of, you know, Job 30, uh, uh, chapter 3 to uh, 38 or 37 or 36, you don't hear a lot of preaching because people often, they, they don't like that, they don't want to hear it, they don't want to learn that, but let me tell you something, those, it, it is those chapters that actually encourage us, because if you would have seen, you know, Job chapter 1 and 2, where Job is just, you know, worshiping God, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord, where God, where Job is rebuking his wife and saying, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh, shall we, you know, receive uh, good at the hand of the Lord, and shall we not receive evil? If you would have seen that, and then you would have seen just God bless him and give him everything back, that would have been discouraging for us. Because we would have been like, man, Job's just like a superman. Job just like, you know, he just took this like, like, a, like, like, a, like a champ. But, you know, in chapter 3, we begin to see that Job, yes, Job was a godly man. Job was a perfect and upright man. Job never wavered. He never cursed God. He never quit on God. He never accused God uh, uh, foolishly. But you know what? Job did go through a difficult time. And sometimes we as humans, we go through difficult times. And it's okay. It's okay to mourn. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to weep. So we see, number one, that Job curses the day that he was born, and that teaches us that it is okay to mourn. Let me give you a second thought tonight that we can learn here from Job's monologue in chapter 3. Not only do we see that Job cursed the day that he was born, but we see, number two, that Job wishes he had never been born. And we already kind of talked about that a little bit, but let me show it to you uh, even more clearly. I want you to notice this, and I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this, because I want to make sure you, you get this. Job wishes that he had never been born, and in that, he actually teaches us a very important doctrine, which is this, that babies go to heaven when they die. In fact, Job chapter 3 is probably one of the clearest passages in Scripture that teaches us that babies go to heaven when they die, and it happens from this monologue 
of Job. So let me give you some reasons why we know that baby's going to heaven when they die. And, you know, this is, this is something that we, we should know. I mean, here, here at Mary Baptist Church, we've buried a baby. And, 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 and many of you ladies have had uh, miscarriages. My, my wife has had miscarriages. And I know uh, many of our church people, several of our church people, have had children die, uh, young children. And the Bible teaches, look, uh, uh, these babies, these toddlers, these little ones, when they die, they go uh, to heaven. You say, how do we know that? Well, number one, because the Bible clearly states that. The Bible clearly teaches that, and we see it here in the book of Job. Notice uh, chapter 3 and verse 10. Notice what Job is saying. He says, he, he's talking about he wishes he'd never been born, right? He says, because it, because it shut not up the doors of my mother's womb, nor hid sorrow from mine eyes. He's talking about the fact that he's cursing the day that he was born. And he's cursing the day because the day went well. Because the day did not shut up the doors of his mother's womb, because it did not hide sorrow from mine eyes. Notice verse 11. He says, why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? And he's talking about dying at birth. He's talking about, he says he wishes he would have been born and then just died right then and there. And, and, and of course, he's grieving here. He's mourning. He's speaking uh, uh, in, in a mourning tone. Notice verse 12. He says, why do the knees prevent me? Or why the breast that I should suck? He says, for now should I have lain still and been quiet. And again, he's just... You know, mourning here and speaking in a mournful way, but he is speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost takes this opportunity to show us something, and it is this that Job says, Hey, if I would have just died at birth, if I would just died from the womb, if I would have been a miscarriage, he says uh, in verse 13, Now should I have lain still and been quiet. He says, I should have slept, then had I been at rest. He's talking about the fact that his physical body, and I'm not going to get into this tonight. Later on in the book of Job, Job talks about the resurrection of the dead in the Old Testament. And he has a, a, a very clear teaching on the resurrection. So he says, my body would have slept. But he said, I would have been in heaven. I would have been at rest. Notice verse 14, he says, with the kings, with kings and counselors of the earth, which built desolate places for themselves, or with princes that had gold who filled their houses with silver. Notice verse 16. He says, Or as a hidden untimely birth, I have not been as infants which never saw light. And he's talking about the fact that he wishes he would have been a, a, a miscarriage. And, and, and I'm going to uh, go in, into these verses in more detail here in a minute. But I want you to notice, he's referring to the fact that these babies go to heaven. Look at verse 17. He says, There the wicked cease from troubling. There the weary be at rest. He's talking about where these babies go when they die. There the wicked, uh, uh, he says, uh, the, the, the weary be at rest. There the prisoners rest together. They hear not the voice of the oppressor. There the prisoners rest together. They hear, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, they hear not the voice of the oppressor. He says, the small and great are there, and the servant is free from his master. He says, wherefore is light given to him that is in misery and life unto the bitter soul. He says, look, if I would just died in the womb, my body would have been asleep, in the grave, waiting for the resurrection, and I would have been where the wicked cease from troubling, where the prisoner and the weary rest together, where uh, they don't hear the voice of the oppressor, where the servant is free from the pastor. He's talking about the fact that he would have been in heaven. And this shows us that babies go to heaven when they die. This is just one example. Let me give you another example. Go to Second Samuel chapter number 12. 2 Samuel chapter number 12. And Second Samuel chapter 12 is probably the most famous of these examples. If you find the one and two books, they're all clustered together in the Old Testament there. 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles. 2nd Samuel chapter number 12. And this is, of course, David speaking after the death of his newborn baby. And notice uh, what David said. The Bible says in 2nd Samuel 12 and verse 22, And he said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me? the child may live. Notice verse 23. But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? Because the servants are asking him. You know, he, he was weeping and fasting while the child was alive. Then when he heard that the child died, he rose up and he, and he, and he ate. 
and they're asking him, well, why aren't you, you know, crying now? Why aren't you fasting now? He says, he says, but now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? And then notice the words. He says, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. So here David says, David says, look, the child's not coming back. The child has died. The, the child is dead. I'm not going to be able to bring the child back. But he says, you know what? I'm going to go to the child. And he's referring to the fact that David, one day, he says, one day I'm going to die and I'm going to go to heaven. And the, the baby's there. So he says, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Go, go to the book of Romans, if you would, Romans chapter number 7. If you kept your place in 1 Corinthians, I'm not sure if you did, but it's right before 1 Corinthians, you have the book of Romans. If not, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter 7, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. You say, Pastor Moses, why do you believe that babies go to heaven? And by the way, let me just say this. You know, there's lots of people out there who don't believe this. And, and, and a lot of Calvinists who don't believe uh, that babies go to heaven when they die. We believe that babies go to heaven when they die. You, see, you say, why? Well, number one, we believe it because the Bible clearly states it. Because Job said, hey, if I had died in the womb, I would be in heaven. I would be in a place of rest. I would be in a place where there's no oppression and there's no wickedness and, 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 and there's no any of these negative things. And then David said, when his child died, David said, I, uh, he says, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. So we see David's confidence that though the child was not uh, coming back to him in this life, David would go to see him in the next life. You say, but, you know, how can this be the- theologically? You know, how does this work as far as salvation, and obviously in order to be saved, you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to be able to understand what salvation is and accept it or reject it. So how does this work as far as babies? And the way that it works doctrinally is because of the fact that babies are not condemned. See, not only are babies, you know, babies go to heaven uh, when they die because the Bible clearly states that, but babies go to heaven when they die because they are not condemned. Are you there in Romans chapter 7? I'll show this to you quickly from... um, the Bible, and, and then I, I want to give you another point in regards to this. Romans chapter 7 and verse 8. The Bible says this. This is Paul speaking. And of course, Romans is a book that's filled with a lot of theology and doctrine. And Paul says this. He says, but sin, taking occasion by the commandment. So here Paul states that the commandments uh, or the law of God is used as a weapon <laughs> By sin. He says, sin taking occasion by the commandment, he says, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. And this is talking about lust or a desire to, to do evil, to do wrong. Notice what he says. He says, for without the law, sin was dead. He says, sin does not have power without the law. Because sin is a transgression of the law. So if there is no law, then sin has no power over you. Uh, And this is why he says, for without the law, sin was dead. And you say, well, that doesn't make any sense because there's always a law. God has given us a law. So, uh, you know, Paul, in this theoretical world, you're stating a world that, that had no law would be a world that we would not have to be afraid of death because the power of sin is in the law. And you say, but we live in a world of law. But yet, there are, uh, there are some people who don't live in a state of conscience law. You say, what do you mean? Notice verse 9. Paul says this. He says, for I was alive without the law once. He says, look, I was alive without the law once. And please understand this. Paul's speaking here spiritually, not physically. He says, I was spiritually alive without the law once. He says, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. He says, I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. He said, when the commandment came, I, uh, the, the, the sin took the occasion of the commandment and it killed me and he said, I died. You said, what are you talking about? What, what, what is this referring to? Go to the book of Genesis, if you would. Genesis chapter number 2. Let me just explain this. We are made in the image of God. And in the same way that God is a, is a trinity, we believe in a God that exists in three persons. God made us in our image in the sense that we were created in three, in three parts, in three sections. We are uh, a, a, There's a physical side to us, which is our body. There's a, a spiritual side to us, which is our spirit. And then there's our soul, which is just our essence, who we are. 
and, and we're created in those three parts. And here's the thing. When a child is born, they are born with all three parts. They are born with a soul. They are born with a spirit. And they are born with a body. But when children get to the place where they can understand the commandments, where they can understand the difference between right and wrong, where they can understand the law, the Bible says that their spirit dies. And in fact, this is most clearly taught in the story of Adam and Eve. Let's look at it, if you would. Uh, Genesis uh, chapter number 2. If you remember, God created Adam, and God told Adam... Well, well, let's look at it. Look at verse 17. Genesis 2 and verse 17. But of the tree... Remember, God told Adam, you can eat of any tree in the garden... But there's one tree you can't eat of. Now, notice, the tree that he wasn't allowed to eat of, there's a very important reason why he wasn't allowed to eat of that tree. Notice uh, Genesis 2.17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. He says, God told Adam, I don't want you to eat from the tree that gives you knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, wait a minute. When Adam and Eve ate of that tree, did they die that day physically? No, they lived for hundreds of years. But they did die that day spiritually. Their spirit died when they partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You say, how can that be? Here's why. Romans 3.20 says, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. See, the point is this. When you and I get saved, right? When we go out and preach the gospel to an unbeliever, we, we talk to an unbeliever. You're talking to someone who has a soul and has a body, but their spirit is dead. The Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That is not God being poetic. That is literal. The unsaved people out there have a spirit that is dead. When they get saved, they are regenerated. They are quickened. They are made new. The Bible says uh, that, therefore, uh, when, we, uh, when we're in Christ, we are a new creature. We, we, that, that spirit is revived. It is brought back to life. It is quickened again. This is what happens at salvation. But a baby is not condemned. Their spirit's not dead. They don't need salvation. You say, well, well how does it work? When does somebody come to the point where they need to be saved? Well, they, it, when they get to the point where the sin taken occasion by the law kills them spiritually, when they come to the point where they understand the difference between right and wrong, when they can understand the law, then they come to the age, which is often referred to as the age of accountability, where they are now held accountable for their sin and for their actions. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Let me give you an example of this. Deuteronomy chapter number 1. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, I'm going to have you look down at verse 39. This is not a salvation passage. I just want to you know, state that clearly. But this passage does show us how God looks at children who are too young to be held accountable for their actions. He looks at them different than he looks at other people. Deuteronomy 1, verse 39. Moreover, your little ones, God says, which ye said should be a prey and your children, Deuteronomy 1, verse 39. Notice, which in that day, and this is God speaking to the children of Israel, when they chose not to obey him, not to go into the promised land, and they used their kids as an excuse. It's funny how often we use our kids as an excuse to not serve God. Well, I can't come to Sunday night church, Pastor, you know, we're having family time. There's like hundreds of hours in the, in the week. You can't have family time on Saturday night? It has to be Sunday night? It has to be Sunday morning? He says, it's more of your little ones, which she said should be a prey, and your children, which in that day have no knowledge between good and evil. They shall go in hither, and unto them will I give it, and they shall possess it. God says, I'm not going to hold your kids accountable, because in that day they had no knowledge of good and evil. See, the age of accountability is in a, a, a time in someone's life when they are able to understand the difference between good and bad between good and evil. They can comprehend the laws of God. Go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. So I, I hope that's clear, and let me just give you some, some thoughts. The age of accountability is not a set age. It's not like, you know, at this age, you know, now you're condemned. 
you know, I believe that that age comes at different times for different individuals. And it, it, it could be at different times for different people. But here's what I'm saying is, before a child is able to understand between the difference between good and evil, their spirit is alive. Sin, taken occasion by the law, has not killed them. And if they die, they go to heaven because they have a spirit that is alive. So, you know, if you look at a, a, a baby, we, we have a two-year-old, Hannah. And Hannah, she, she doesn't know the difference between good and evil. She doesn't know anything. She's a baby. You know, and, and I, can, I, I can sit there and tell, uh, you know, Hannah, now listen, Hannah. I can put her out in, in the front yard and say, now listen, Hannah, you better stay off that road. Because that, you know, the cars are going to come, they're going to run you over. She, yeah, yeah, okay, Daddy. <laughs> she doesn't understand anything. She doesn't know anything. She doesn't know. She doesn't, she doesn't know. You know, babies often, they'll do something bad. They'll break something. And they'll come showing it to, to Mom like, oh, look what I did. The good china. Not the cheap stuff you put out when you invite pastor. The good stuff. You know, look what I did. And, and they think it's a good thing. And you're like, you know, they don't know. They don't hide it. They, they don't know. What you say, well, you know, how do I know once they kind of reach the age of accountability? When, you're, when your kids start hiding things, you know, they know they did wrong, that, that's, a, that's a good uh, indication that they're coming into that age where we can begin to preach the gospel. We should probably start trying to preach the gospel to them. Um, here's another good rule of thumb, and it is this. When a child becomes aware of their own nakedness. Because you remember, Adam and Eve were in a state of innocence. And God said, when you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in that day you shall surely die. And when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when they ate of the tree that gave them knowledge between good and evil, the first thing they became aware of was the fact, we're naked. You remember the story? And they went and sowed fig leaves, and and they sowed leaves and and made aprons. Notice Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and trees to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sowed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. So, you know, here's a good indication, because the truth is this. You can put a little two-year-old baby, uh, you know, uh, as a mom, you can go in and start a bath and sit there and put a two-year-old baby and, and a three-year-old or a four-year-old uh, toddler, and they'll just have a grand old time, right? And, and, and you can bathe them both, and, 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 and it's fine. But, you, you know, you throw a nine-year-old kid in there, they're like, hey, I, give me my privacy. You know, so when a child starts hiding things from me, that's a good indication that they're getting to a place where they can understand the difference between good and evil. Or when a child begins to understand their negative, because, you know, you can have a, a little baby, you, you have to put clothes on them, you know, because if you let them run around naked, they'll run around naked all day. It won't even, it won't bother them at all. Because they're not self-aware. So, a baby does not understand, a, a, even a little toddler does not understand, and, and I, by the way, I would take it to the point, you, you can have, uh, 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 maybe even an older kid, and, you know, if they have Down syndrome or some reason why they might not be able to understand or comprehend, you know, they might still be in a state of innocence as far as God is concerned. So, well, when should we try to get the gospel revealed? When it's clear that they understand the difference between good and evil. When they come to that age of accountability. And that age could be different for uh, different uh, people. But we see that... Babies go to heaven and die, number one, because Job told us they do, because David told us they do, but the Bible says that it is not until you understand the difference between good and evil that you are held accountable uh, for your sins. So I hope that makes sense. Go back to Job chapter 3, and let me give you the third point. We've got to finish this up. I said number one, Job cursed the day that he was born, and he taught us that it was okay to mourn. I said number two, Job wished that he had never been born, and he taught us that babies go to heaven when they die. Number three, Job longs for his own death. And in that, he gives us a description of heaven. We'll just go through this real quickly. Job chapter 3, verse 17. The Bible says this. And I'll give you just some, some things here about heaven. He begins to describe heaven for us. Because he's wishing he was dead, right? He's wishing he was never born. So he gives us some things in regards to heaven. Maybe you can write these down. Uh, number one, in heaven there is a restraint of the wicked. Notice verse 17. There the wicked cease from troubling. You know, here on earth the wicked don't cease from troubling. Here on earth we have to deal with the wicked. Especially right now. 
You know, there seems to be a heavy attack upon churches and, and the people of God. And, and, and wicked people are constantly attacking us and trying to make things difficult for us. But let me tell you something. There's a place called heaven. He's, he's, he's talking about a place. He says, there the wicked cease from troubling. He says, there there's a restraint uh, to uh, the wicked. And then he says this, not only is, is heaven, in heaven is there a restraint of the wicked, but in heaven there is rest for the weary and for the prisoner. Notice verse 17, the last part of verse 17. He says, and there the weary be at rest, and the prisoners rest together. He says, those that are tired, they get to rest there. Those that are prisoners, they get to rest. He says that in heaven there is a restraint of the wicked. And he says that in heaven there is a, a rest for the weary and the prisoner. Then he says this, in heaven there is restoration for the oppressed. Notice verse 18. He says, at the end of verse 18, he says, They hear not the voice of the oppressor. Here on earth, people are trying to oppress you. People are trying to, to put you under. But he said in heaven, they hear not the voice of the oppressor. So he says there's restoration for the oppressed. Then he says that in heaven, there's a release for the servant. The servant is made free. Notice verse 19. He says the small and great are there. Hey, aren't you glad that heaven, heaven is not, it's an equal opportunity place? Anybody can go there. Whosoever will may come, the Bible says. All you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how important you were. It doesn't matter how successful you were. It doesn't matter. He says, look, there, he says, the small and the great are there. He says, the small and the great are there. He says, and the servant, he said, on earth, you may be a servant. You may have a boss. You may be a slave. You may uh, have, have someone over you. But in heaven, the servant is free from his master. He says in heaven there's a release, there's a freedom that is given uh, in heaven. Then he says in verse 20, he says in heaven there is a relief to the miserable. He says, wherefore is light given to him that is in misery? Job saying, I'm in misery right now, but in heaven light is given to him that is in misery. And he says, and life unto the bitter in soul. So he gives us this description of heaven. And I believe that Job is speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And I think it's interesting that the Holy Ghost kind of leads him in this direction. Because as Job is throwing a pity party for himself, right? And justifiably so. I'm not going to judge him for throwing himself a pity party. If there's anybody that ever, you know, deserved a pity party, it was Job. But as he's going through this, he says, I wish I had never been born. I wish I had never lived. I wish that I would have died in the womb. I wish I would have died. Right on. Then he begins to say, because then I would have been in heaven and then I would not uh, hear the voice of the oppressor. And I would have, the servant is free from his master and those that are in misery and bitter and those that are weary can rest. And he begins to say these things and really he begins to talk about these things that should be what encourages all of us because listen to me, in this world things get hard. But just remember this, that we're not of this world. And the truth is this, that our worst day on earth is really no big deal because what's the worst that, they can ha that can happen? They, they, take, I mean, they take our stuff. They take our money. They take our lives. We're going to put you in prison. That's all right. I'm going to be free. The servant is free from his master for all eternity in heaven. Uh, uh, we're going to take all, 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 your, uh, all your wealth. Well, no big deal, because in heaven, the great and the small are there. That's right. uh, you know, we're going to oppress you. Yeah, but I'm going to a place where you don't hear the voice of the oppressor, where the sermon is free. Hey, you can put me in misery here on earth, but I'm going to a place that is better. See, the truth is this. In this world, the troubles and the trials of this world are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. So Job longs for his own death. And in that gives us a beautiful description of heaven. And here's the truth. This is what you and I should live for, is heaven. We are pilgrims on this earth. We are sojourners. This, home, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. And I'm headed to a better place called heaven. We'll finish up this chapter quickly. Job is obviously in a low place in his life. I think you understand that. Verse 21, he says, which long for death. He talks about the fact that there in heaven, light is given to them that are in misery, and there in heaven, life is given unto the bitter. But he says, here on earth, Job says, the miserable and the bitter, they long for death, but it cometh not, and dig for it more than for hid treasures, which rejoice exceedingly and are glad 
when they can find the grave. And of course, he's in a really low place. It's like, he's saying, I would rejoice if I could just find death, if I could just die. Why is light given to a man whose way is hid and whom God hath hedged in? For my sighing cometh before I eat, and my roarings are poured out like the waters. For the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. And he's referring to the fact that he's saying this, this was my biggest fear. What has happened in my life was my biggest fear. And of course, Job is going through a very low place in his life. But then he says this. He says, I was not in safety, neither had I rest, neither was I quiet, yet trouble came. And like Job, we can learn this, that the truth is this, that trouble can come at any moment. You can sit there and say, oh, I've got it all, I've got it all security, Pastor, I've got no problems. I mean, if you look at my bank account, and you look at my 401k, and you know, I've got uh, everything I need, and I, in fact, I bought property out in the middle of nowhere, and i got a big old fortress, and I'm ready to go. Hey, you know what? The truth is this. At any point in your life, you say, you say I, I, I'm all successful. You are not as successful as Job was. You are not as secure as Job was. You did not have it all put together like Job had it. You did not have everything that Job had. But one thing that Job learned was this. He says, I was not in safety. He said, I thought I was in safety. I thought I had success. I thought I had everything I needed. But he says, you know what? I was not in safety. He said, I, I thought I was doing okay. I mean, I could go on any vacation I wanted. I could go on any trip that I wanted. I could you know, take any day off that I wanted. But you know what the truth is? Neither had I rest. He said, neither was I quiet. He said, I had this, this idea that I had quietness and peace and safety and rest. But the truth is this, that on this earth, you and I have nothing. And trouble could come at any moment. You can sit there and go run off in your fortress and go run off uh, in your property and go, you know, put, put, put as much money as you want in your 401k and in your bank account. And the truth is this, at any moment, God can put his finger on your life and trouble can come. This is why Jesus said, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You know what Job learned? Job learned this. That the only place that we can find peace in is the Lord Jesus Christ. The only place, you say, I got money, you got nothing. I got strength, you got nothing. I got success, you got... Look, the only place you and I can have peace. That in me, Jesus said, ye might have peace. Because in the world, you shall have tribulation. In the world, you're going to have trouble. But he says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the book of Job. Thank you this man who went through this difficult time, went through this hard trial. And Lord, he taught us something. He taught us the fact that no matter how successful we are, no matter how lined up we've got our ducks in a row, the truth is this, that in this world we have nothing. We can think we're at rest. We can think we have quietness. We can think we have security. And it can all be taken away in a moment. Lord, help us to learn to find our peace in you. Help us to learn to find our contentment in you. Thank you for Job. Thank you for the fact that we can listen in on his conversations and watch a very godly man be broken. And Lord, help us to learn that we can be broken too. And when we come to that place, if we come to that place, we can mourn. When we come to that place, we can mourn, but we can always have the confidence that this world is not my home. Lord, we love you in the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.